And today we want to begin a series called Triggers and Traps, Breaking the Spirit of Offense. And, um, and I don't really know how long this is going to go. In fact, as I started preparing this several weeks ago, it's not really even as sermonic as I would like it to be. It doesn't fit as nicely in the package of a series that I want it to fit in. But the content of it is what I believe is germane and necessary for not only us, but the entire body of Christ. I want you to know that we are living in one of the most easily offended generations the world has ever seen. Shockingly and mysteriously, among the most who are easily offended are the people in the body of Christ. And that is not acceptable to the kingdom of God. God intends for us to be mature. Look at your neighbor say mature. We talk a whole lot about going up, but before we ever go up, how many know we all have to grow up? And God wants us to grow up in this. And I am praying that God would do several things over the next several weeks. Number one, I'm asking God to set people free who are trapped in an offense. Secondly, I am praying that God would help us develop a spirit that is not easily offended. If I could say it like this, I want to live unoffendable. And I do not think it is coincidental that this series is beginning on Father's Day. And by the way, let me say, and as I get into this, how much I love my dad who is with me on the second row today. Some know him as Budai, Butch, Ed, Big Ed, Sanford and Son. But I know him as Dad. And I'm grateful for my dad. I'm thankful that he's still alive. I'm grateful for all the lessons he, he taught me in life. And I'm, uh, I'm still living many of those lessons out and uh, living them out with my sons. And uh, I'm grateful for you, Dad. I love you with all my heart. Thank God for you and for what you've done. How many are thankful for your fathers? Yeah. And you know what I'm saying is true. If you still got him, love on him. And I'm thankful for my earthly father. I'm thankful for my heavenly father. How many know he's, he's the best thing that ever happened to all of us? Amen. So I do not think that this um, series is coincidental that it starts on a Father's Day. Because I think that the heart of our heavenly father is for all of his children to walk in freedom from offense. And that we not live in bondage. Let me remind you on Father's Day, you are his children. And because you are his children, there is a certain kind of life he wants you to live and it does not include bondage of any kind I said I'm gonna say that one more time that sounds too good to be true but it really is true there is no bondage of any kind in the life of the child of God if there is it is illegal where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom you shall know the truth and the truth shall the anointing is upon me, for he hath anointed me to preach good news to the brokenhearted, to set at liberty, set at liberty, to set at, to liberate those who are bruised and trapped on the inside. And you know what a bruise is? A bruise is a wound underneath the skin that over time it will turn blue because the blood broke through the vessels and surfaces. And sometimes you can't immediately see a bruise, but God sees the bruises. And today I want to declare to you that as his child, it is his intent on Father's Day for you to walk in a measure of freedom and a measure of wholeness. It's my prayer over the next several weeks that God would give us freedom from the spirit of offense and he would create in us a spirit that is less easily offended. And I'm getting ready to help some people in here because some of you go around telling 
people, they offended me. You don't even know what an offense is. Many people in this room are not offended. I'm going to show you why today because we taught this all wrong in my opinion. And I'm not saying that because I like standing up and saying grandiose statements like that. Because I've said those things, I'm offended. When in reality, I'm not offended, I'm just mad. Okay, okay. I can see how this is going to be. Okay. All right, let's go to, let me just start uh, with Matthew 5. <coughs> Pardon me. Some, some of you just got offended. I mean, like people grabbing their ears. I've been struggling with my allergies. Anybody else had allergies? Lift your hands. God heal all of us right now. I rebuke pollen demons in the name of Jesus. Come on. My God. I have never in my life struggled like I've struggled the last week and a half. And I thought I was, you know, past all the the pollinating of the spring and then this summer thing hit and I'm just, I'm swimming in it. So thank God for people who are in my misery with me today. Hallelujah. I want you to go to Matthew uh, chapter 5. This is just where I'm going to start. It's not where I'm going to end, but it is where I'm going to start. Um, I'd like to begin in verse 21. Matthew 5, 21 in the New King James reads, let's read this together. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Next verse. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, how many know Raka just sounds like a cuss word? I don't even know what that means. I was studying this week, and I, it's like Raka, you know, it's bad. Whatever it is, it's bad. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, in the Greek word is moros, which is where we get the English word moron. You moron, you shall be in danger of hellfire. Next verse. Therefore, listen to this. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Next verse. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown in prison. Last verse. Surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. How many of that's a heavy text? May the Lord God give us grace to receive the word today. And may the Lord help us in our hearing the word of God. Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name today. I'm asking you to help us. I'm asking you to give us grace. I'm asking you to watch over us. In Jesus' precious name, we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in every life and that we'll never be the same again by the grace of God and the preaching of the word. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. So how many would agree with me today that the cross has two beams? The cross of Jesus Christ was made up of a vertical beam that stood vertical from the ground and pointed up toward heaven, representing that on that cross, Jesus died to redeem our broken relationship with Father God. How many would agree with that? But the cross is not only consists of a vertical beam that re redeems our relationship that is broken with God, but the cross has a horizontal beam 
that represents and reminds us that God sent Jesus to redeem our relationships with one another. Because in the kingdom of God, we do not have the privilege of getting saved and hiding and isolating ourselves and being set apart from everyone else. The kingdom of God is a family, and if you're a part of the kingdom of God, if you're part of the church, if you're a part of the ecclesia, you are never that alone. You are always that in a plural context with brothers and sisters. God loves you too much to simply allow you to be the church by yourself. If you're a part of the kingdom and you're a part of the church of the living God, it is, it is because you're a part of a community of believers, right? And, and Jesus came to restore that and redeem that because many of us have a pretty decent relationship with God until it comes to his children. And there are some people who struggle with walking with God because of the family of God sometimes. Sometimes that's because you're just with people that are difficult. Other times it's because you refuse to see the something in you that make you difficult to deal with, with for other people to deal with. How many would agree that sometimes there are difficult people even in the church, even in the kingdom, outside this church? And other, how many have ever met Christians who love Jesus, but they're just difficult to be around? How many think it's you? See, I'm going to mess you up these next couple of weeks. Ah. How many recognize and agree with me that sometimes you and I are blind to our own idiosyncrasies? We are blind to the things in our life that make us difficult for other people to deal with. And I think that's one of the things that we're going to talk about next week is in this whole thing is, is really being able to take an inventory and, and make sure that our lives are the kind of lives being lived that, that, that attract not only the presence and the person of God, but that give us influence to speak into the lives of other people. When I think about people who I want to hang around, I think about encouraging people, people who speak the truth in love, people who can help point me in the right direction, people who I see loving people and nurturing lives. I, I think about Elder Basham, Jim Basham. You know, we come here when we have first three days of prayer um, every month, and, and there's only about seven or eight of us who come for early morning prayer. We all get here at 6.50, 7 o'clock, and we pray all over the church. And I was here this past Wednesday, and I'm on the front row. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm going after it. And I look up, and he's over here praying with somebody, and somebody else came and got him. He's praying back there. Before I know it, they've got a prayer line going on at the 7 a.m., and he's just blessing everybody. In the room. Those are the kind of people that, that, that most people are attracted to. It's people that are encouraging and helpful, right? But not everybody's that way. And one of the things God wants to give some of you is a spirit and a measure of long-suffering and patience to deal with people that you don't like so much. Because the reality is God had to give somebody long-suffering and patience with you for them to, get able, to be able to like you. The cross of Jesus is a restoring, redeeming cross. It redeemed us back to the heart of God when we had a broken relationship, and then it redeemed the broken relationships we have with each other. Because of Jesus' model and the example that he set, I declare to you today, you and I can walk in harmony and peace and agreement with brothers and sisters in Christ. If you think that's too difficult, then you're, then you're precisely the person that I came to um, talk to today, and I want you to know that unity and agreement are a really big deal. Do you know that Jesus, on his last uh, on his last prayer meeting that he had in John chapter 17, the last thing Jesus is recorded to have prayed for. How many know that men and women are known by their first and their last words, right? Famous people are known by their, by their last words. The last thing Jesus prayed 
before he died is, Father, I not only pray for those that you gave me now, but I pray for those who will believe in you in the future. And here's what he said. I pray that you will make them one as you and I are one. The last prayer Jesus prayed before leaving this planet and, and ascending to the side of the Father, the last thing he prayed was, Father, make your people one. Ever since Jesus prayed that prayer, Satan has been busy trying to make us two. And I want you to understand today that there is so much power in agreement. Do you understand that last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday? We taught a little bit about Pentecost, but we really didn't get to it because the whole agenda God was trying to get us to focus on is this issue of one accord and unity and like-mindedness. Do you recognize that, that when the church came together in one accord, right, homothamodon, how many remember that last week? Say homothamodon. When the church came together in one accord, say accord. And he wasn't talking about a Honda. We talked about that last week, right? It's a homothamodon. When the church came together in one movement, one energy, one, one zeal, one passion, that's when the Spirit of God moved. Do you realize that when the church came together in one accord, one homothamodon, one mind, one zeal, one passion, that heaven could not ignore it. The Spirit of God broke the heavens open. The Spirit of God descended in fire and in wind. And ever since that fiery, windy, supernatural manifestation in Acts 2, do you recognize that Satan has been attacking agreement and unity ever since because he saw the result of what happened when people come together in one mind and one accord? Hell hates agreement. If one can put a thousand to flight, y'all not gonna help me today. If one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. There is something powerful when two people touch and agree. There's something powerful according to Psalm 133 when brothers come together in unity. Brothers and sisters come together in unity. The writer said it is like the oil that flows down the beard of Aaron from his head down his beard all the way to the skirts of his garments and wherever unity and agreement can be found there the Lord has commanded a blessing, even life forevermore. This is why some people in this room cannot walk in blessing in their house. It's because there's no unity in your marriage. And if there's no unity, I'm not getting no help right now. I'm getting some real nervous looks right now. But I've come to help some people today. You want the commanded blessing of God on your house, then you can't quit. You can't keep blaming generational curses on your own disagreement and your lack of unity. Really what's got to happen is you've got to submit and surrender and humble yourself and both of y'all got to come together. Run the devil out of your kitchen, out of your bedroom, out of your laundry room, out of the living room. Get him out of the house and get together in unity. And when that happens, I declare the commanded blessing of God will come on your house, your kids, your finances, your in-laws, your outlaws. you just going to have to make up in your mind there are some things in your heart you got to get up under the blood, come together, come together, get in unity. Something powerful is released when it happens. I, I, I want you to understand the power of agreement, the power of unity. And I'm only setting this up and laying this foundation so that when we jump into the whole issue of offense and, and, and the disagreements that we come into, I want you to understand why we would teach this. We teach this because I don't care how spiritual you are, how gifted you are. Because, you know, gifted people can hide things. Gifted people can hide things. You can sing so good that people don't know you don't have a prayer life. 
You can wax eloquent and, eloquent and teach and preach so well that people don't know that you ain't walking in harmony with your wife and your husband and with your kids. But I'm going to tell you right now, there comes a point when heaven looks down at that mess and heaven says, I've had enough of your, of your foolishness. I need you to come and get, get your heart right so that what happens in your life can be authentic and genuine. This is how people can have television ministry all over the world. You wake up one morning, they're divorced, they're going through hell, they lose their ministry. You think it happened like that, but in reality, it's been happening for years. Their gift just allowed them to hide it. And what God is saying is, I don't want you sitting in the house of the Lord hiding stuff. I don't want you to sit on broken relationships and sit in offense and bitterness be seething on the inside, but you know you have a responsibility to look spiritual on the outside. So you come to church and you he-na-na-ta-ta and everyone says, how you doing? You say, Pray, praise God. Praise God. I'm doing so good. You a lying wonder. You are a lying wonder. God wants us to get it right. Say amen. And so there is power in agreement. There is power in agreement. Everywhere we look in the word, there is power in agreement. Our unity is a necessity. Our agreement is significant. If you can get in unity and agreement and walk in reconciled relationship with brothers and sisters, it yields supernatural power. It releases supernatural blessing and it invites supernatural protection. In light of all the glorious benefits of walking in harmony and unity with brothers and sisters, it is no wonder Satan and all of hell make one of their greatest assignments to bring division and drive wedges between brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Satan's, write down, if you're taking notes, write it down. Satan's assignment is destruction. His agenda is division. His ammunition is offense. Unity, harmony, and agreement, as I told you, preceded the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and Satan's fighting everything he can in our day to keep us from that place of unity. I want you to understand that when you see the increased volatility of people's hearts, and you see the increased um, likelihood of offense, it is a sign we're living in the last day. Jesus said in the last day, the love of many would wax cold and that offenses would grow in their frequency. Lord have mercy. I, I could quit teaching right there. In the, how many know we're living in the last day if that's the truth? The love of many would wax cold and the frequency of offenses would increase. People would actually get more easily offended the closer they get to the coming of the Lord. Here it is. Jesus is coming back, and most people, many people, some people, I don't know the number, but a lot of folk are more easily offended now than they were when they first got saved. That ain't the way it's supposed to be. Come on in here, somebody. How many remember the night you got saved? Could nobody offend you? People come up, talk about you. Look at her. Look, at, and you smile. Praise the Lord. You know, I'm just glad to be saved. And they looked at him and said, give him three weeks. He'll be back to his old ways. And instead of that messing with him, he just said, you know what? I love you anyway. And then you settle down a while. And you keep coming to church. And you get cynical. You start hearing those things. You start believing it. You get more offendable. This is a sign we're living in the last days is that the love of many would wax cold. Your heart gets cold. Your love dries up. 
You don't love like you used to. You don't love as easily as you used to. You get jaded and you get bitter and you get offended. This ain't the will of God. It's a demonic attack. Jesus wants us to burn with white hot love for him and for each other. Well, Brother Wallace, just keep living. You're a young whippersnapper. No, I'm not young. The problem is I believe the word and you've gotten cynical and you don't anymore and leave me alone and let me love people and let me forgive easily because that's what Jesus would do. Take your notes, write it down. Heaven, this is, this is heavy. God said to me, tell him, Kevin, heaven does not need the world to walk in agreement with you before you are blessed. Heaven does not need the world to walk in agreement with you before you are blessed. But heaven does need agreement and harmony between you and your brother and sister before heaven can bless you. Well, the world don't like you, Brother Wallace. I don't give a flying flip if the world likes me and agrees with what I'm teaching today or not. The world is not a necessary requirement for me to be blessed. God's going to bless me whether the backslid, hell-bound world wants us to be blessed or not. But heaven does need us to walk in agreement, brother and sister. You don't have to make the world like you. The world don't have to agree with God's blessing in your life. The world don't have to, you don't have to walk in agreement with people who are living crazy and, 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 and pluralistic, ungodly life. You don't have to have their agreement, but you do have to have the agreement of the body. And you do have to walk in harmony with them to live blessed. This is why Jesus directs a lot of his time addressing relationships between brothers and sisters is because it is essential and it is necessary for us to walk in agreement and in harmony so that we walk in our full potential and our purpose and the blessing of God. Amen. Now, Matthew becomes a book that is loaded with teaching and guidance on walking in healthy relationships. There is actually much more said about relationships that we need to look at than just the text on offense. And I want to explore a number of things Jesus talked about in relationships. So we're going to talk about this. I don't know how far we're going to get in it today. But there, there are several different kinds of disagreements between brothers and sisters. We, we always say, I'm offended. They offended me. You're not offended most of the time. And I'm going to show you why you're not offended most of the time. Most of the time, it is a less serious thing than an offense. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Okay, let's open your Bible. Keep it open because I want us to read together a lot today, okay? We're going to read together. I'm going to teach. If I get excited, I'll calm myself down, okay? Matthew chapter 5. It's the scripture that I read to you, okay? So the first thing I want to clear up is that everything that happens to you in a relationship that you don't like is not an offense. Some people truly do offend you, and I'm going to show you what an offense is in just a moment. But many times you say, they offended me. They did not offend you. They set you off. 
They triggered you. <sighs> Some of us have triggers that people don't know about. How many are married? Can I have one witness? Anybody ever thought you knew who you were marrying, and then after you were married for a few weeks, you found out something about that person that you married that made you wonder why you married them? Y'all are not going to be real. In fact, I see men squirming right now. I see sisters squirming right now. Because the reality of it is, there are things in people's life that trigger them, and you don't even know why it triggered them. And the reason it triggers them is because they brought a set of experiences into a relationship and imposed those previous experiences on this new relationship. And now they are wondering why the man of their dreams don't meet all their needs. And the reality of it is, sister, he don't know, he didn't know you needed that. You didn't tell him. You didn't tell him that squeezing the toothpaste from the top really got on your nerves. And when he did it for three weeks and then blew up that you forgot, he forgot to take the trash out and you blew up on him. He wondered how one forgotten trip to the street with the trash can brought about the fiery fury of hell. And he didn't know that for three weeks you have been boiling, sister, that he did not know you are not supposed to squeeze the toothpaste from the top, Jesus. Somebody said, how do you know this? Because I got married. It's a trigger. Some of you are easily triggered when your husband looks at you a certain way. When your wife rolls her eyes. She is so disrespectful. No, you were crazy. You made a horrible decision. She has a permission to look at you like a fool because you acted like one sometimes. Jesus, where am I going? Help me, God. <laughs> when in doubt, go back to the scriptures, okay? Matthew 5, look at this. Let's take, let's take this apart. Okay, I'm doing good. You have heard that it was said to you by those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders in, is in danger of judgment. But I say to you, Jesus said, the old the old school folk told you, if you murder somebody, you're in trouble. Jesus said, I'm taking this one step further. Because if you back up about four more verses before this one, he looked at them and said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will in no way inherit eternal life. The Pharisees walked around and they looked like the most pious religious people of the day. Jesus said they looked pious on the outside, but on the inside they had unresolved issues that notified them, should have notified them their spirit wasn't born again. And what Jesus is saying is if all you do is keep the law outwardly, but in your heart you have feelings of murder. I didn't get no help right there. You don't pull the trigger, you just wish you could. Do 
You don't go through with killing them. You just think, man, I wish I could. Some of you women in here are like, God, forgive me now, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is taking this beyond sheer outward demonstration. And he's saying to the people of God, your heart and the activity that is hidden within your heart is just as important as what you do with your natural life. Because if you let it fester in your heart long enough, it will actually come to pass in your life. Because the heart, out of the heart issue, come all the issues of life. As a man or woman thinks in their heart, so is he or she. So you got to control. you got to have the help of the Holy Spirit to control these emotions and feelings and attitudes that are often hidden. God cares about what you think everybody else doesn't know about. Many of you have no joy in your homes and in your marriage. Not because everything outwardly is bad, but because inwardly you're a seething pot of rage. And I'm going to tell you why before we get through with this today. You've got to get some of that under the blood. Some of you are carrying feelings of resentment that you've been carrying for decades. It has produced a callous soul and a cold heart. It's not the will of God. Jesus, help me. Watch this. Let's keep going. I say to you, verse 22, whoever's angry with your brother without a call shall be in danger of judgment. Now, look at what he says, and I'm not going to stop every verse, but this is important. Sometimes there is a cause to be angry. Right? Isn't it Paul who said, be angry and sin not? You can actually have reason to be frustrated and angry. You're just not permitted to engage in anger that leads to sin. Right? So, how, how, what's the line? Well, the line is this. Um, and I, I, I've dealt with, after pastoring for 18 years, I've dealt with people who have had horrible, horrible things happen in their marriage. Uh, uh, divorce is the worst thing that can possibly happen in a marriage. There is life after divorce. How many would agree with me? God is the God of love and starting over, I believe that. But, but I have counseled with many people, a number of people who have experienced infidelity in their family, in their marriage. Someone cheated on their spouse with another person. Okay? If I am the person who has cheated on, I'm going to be mad. Like, Scott, you might have to call me and talk me out of walking over there and whooping three or four people. Come on, I'm telling you the truth. Right? But if I go whoop somebody, that's when I cross the line of sin. You understand what I'm saying? I can be mad and hold my spouse accountable, but I can't be mad and hurt them. So there is sin, there is anger with a cause. And even when you have a cause to be angry, you are not permitted to sin against the person. But then there is the anger without a cause. This is when you just don't like people. Read on, Wallace. You know, I love Elder Harry. He's going to yell preach it no matter what I say. If I ever struggle and get out there when nobody's helping me, I walk right over there beside him, and he stands up and goes, Amen! The world's going to hell. Hallelujah! He helps me all the time. Praise God. Elder out on a limb right there. He gets out there with me all the time. I love it. Okay. Let's keep going. Therefore, this is getting crazy. Watch this. Uh, And whosoever says to his brother, say brother, say brother, 
Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool or moron shall be in danger of hell fire. All right. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, it does not say you remember you had something against your brother. Because you should have already dealt with that. When it says that your brother has something against you, here's what it literally means. You know in your heart you did something. There is something there between you two that requires a trip to your brother or sister who has been offended to reconcile so that you can appropriately offer your gift to God. Now here's what's crazy. When Jesus is talking to these people, he is talking to people who are in Galilee and he tells them that there would be somebody at the temple offering a gift. And when they offer this gift and lay it on the altar, if they know there's something between them and a brother or a sister, they're actually supposed to leave their gift in Jerusalem, travel 30 miles to Galilee, make it right, and come back and then offer their gift appropriately. <laughs> Seriously? You want me to go 30 miles to fix? Here's what's crazy. Look at the text. It says, if while you're offering, is this helping anybody? If while you're offering your gift, you remember that your brother has something. Say something. Say something. Say anything. That word something in the Greek is the Greek word T-I-S, tis. It literally means anything. Any little thing. If you are offering your praise to God on Sunday morning, if you're offering your worship to Jesus on Sunday morning, if you're offering your tithe to God on Sunday morning, and your mind reminds you about a situation or a little something with any brother or sister, you are to go to that person and make it right. What, what happens if I don't? You are offering illegal gifts to God. Why well, won't God bless me? Because you got something. Why won't God help my marriage? Because you got something. Why won't the Lord bless my business, Pastor? Because you got that little something. It don't even have to be a big thing. This family is where most people in the body of Christ get stuck on the something. I'm offended. No, you're not. You just got something. You got something between you and a brother or a sister that you think God will ignore. And he won't. He won't ignore it. The King James. How many have a King James Bible? Anybody got a King James Bible? Holy people, yes. King James Bible. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. I got one too. The King James says, if any of you have an ought, just a little ought, a little something, 
You know what an ought is? You know what a something is? It's when you went past the person and they didn't reach out and hug you. Never mind the fact that you don't know what they're going through. They just didn't make you the center of their world. And because they didn't stop and drop everything they had, hug you, embrace you, and make you feel like their best friend, you got in your car, you text three people, and you told them, she is a snob if I've ever seen one. He is the devil, didn't even look at me, and you don't even know his wife is dying of cancer, and he has something else on his mind, and you're so sensitive and egotist. Oh, God, don't let me do this, Jesus. Don't do this to me, Lord. You're so sensitive and egotistical that you think it's all you are the center of your world and when everybody else doesn't make you the central of your center of your narcissistic world you have the unmitigated gall to look at them and say you offended me grow Brother Wallace, don't be insensitive. I'm not being insensitive. This is craziness. I've got to know that I did something, even if it's a little something. I've got to know that I did it before I can fix it. Because Jesus says, when you know you have a problem, and they have a problem with you, I should say, you've got to go fix it. How am I going to go fix a problem with you if I don't know I created one or you have one with me? Many people in the kingdom are living lives of, of hurt and they don't even, the people you thought intentionally hurt you don't even know you're hurt. They don't even know you're hurting. I've met all kinds of people out in the, in the city in different places. I've met people who come up to me in the mall I know when they're walking toward me, oh my God, they go to the church and I don't know their name. I met one person one time, they come up to me and they say this, I know you don't know me, and actually I did, I know you don't know me but I'm a member of the church, you're, you know, wonderful things, they say wonderful things about the church, about, about me, and you know, you said, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, this is wonderful. Thank you so much. I love to be encouraged. Thank you so much. And then another person walked up to me at a sandwich shop. Oh, God, they're probably here. And they said to me, I go to, my, I go to your church. Do you know my name? Sweetheart. I don't know your name, but I know your face. <laughs> what does that mean? Is that good or bad? I mean, help me here. <laughs> Are we friends? Are you, what is this? She goes, oh, I cannot believe you don't know my name. I said, do you know that the human brain has the capacity to know 250 names at one time? So every time I meet a new person, I wonder who I forgot. True story. Every time I meet a new person, I wonder whose name did I just forget? Do you understand that sometimes we are offended over things? We're a big family. I don't know everybody's name. You probably don't know my middle name. But that's okay. We're a big family. We're not all going to be best friends with each other. But we're a big family. And what binds us together is the Accord. It, it, it's not the Honda. It's the Homo Thamodon. It's the, it's 
the movement together. The thing that brings us together is greater than anything that would separate us or divide us. Most people in the church are, if they're hurt, are right here. They have an ought. It's just a little something. So what do we do? We go to the person that there is a little something with. And how many know it matters how you go to that person? Sister thing. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to tell her a piece of my mind. Oh, come in here with your hips and everything. And you walk through the door and you got that attitude. You don't want reconciliation. You want to fix him or her. Please hear me. You're not supposed to fix them. You're supposed to fix y'all. Because if you want to know the truth, you have to be able to reconcile, which means to repair, to heal. before you can appropriately offer a gift that God will receive. And look at your neighbor, tell your neighbor, do it quickly. Don't let the sun, y'all not helping me. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Why? Because what you sleep with at night wakes up with you in the morning. I done taught this one time. If you want a happy life, you got to learn how to get things processed and out of you before you go to bed. <laughs> how many want to be married people need to get this thing right here? If you want to be happy sexually, you got to learn how to process anger. Oh, y'all not going to help nobody. But there's a reason why she puts you in the dark. You can be sleeping three feet away and feel a million miles away from her. Why? Because you didn't deal with that little something. And you're over there trying to touch her. She, don't, touch, don't you put your hands. Don't you put, I, there is something in this bed. Don't you put your hands on me. Why? Because you ain't dealt with the something. And you're trying to give her a gift. And she said, like, I want that gift. I want you to fix this. Talk to me. Well, I'll talk to you in a minute. Can we talk? No, we can't touch till we talk. I'm helping some sisters in here right now. Somebody say, how do you know this? Because I'm married. <laughs> something, say something. Something don't have to be a sin. It don't mean somebody was wrong. It just means somebody did something. And it just didn't sit right. And it probably ain't a big deal, but it can grow into one. If you don't hurry, that's why when the Bible says agree with your adversary quickly, it don't mean, it doesn't mean um, agree with what they did to you. It means get back in agreement and reconcile quickly. It don't mean you've got to hurry up and agree with them and, and like what they did to you hurt you and you're okay with that. No, no, no. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying whatever you got to do, heal it, get through it, pray, cry, hug, do whatever you got to do, but get in one agreement quickly. Yeah. 
Because the longer you stay out of agreement, the more you delay your future. Some of you are not walking in the measure of blessing God intended you for you to be walking in at this stage of your life. The only reason is because you don't know how to walk in agreement and unity. God loves you too much to let you keep walking that way. He sent me this morning to tell some of us we're going to have to deal with the little somethings in our life. And I'm going to teach next week, but the easiest way not to have to deal with this over and over is to not be so easily hurt. Don't be so easily bothered. You know, Brother Wallace, uh, every time I look at their Facebook page, they're saying something to me. They don't even think about you. <laughs> they're not even thinking about you when they post that. You, you, you act like they had you in their mind when they posted that, and they ain't thought about you in three weeks. Next one, we're going on. I can tell this is getting people nervous. Go, go, so something. Then go to Matthew, 20, Matthew 18. Matthew 18. So the first one is something. Everybody say something. The second one is a trespass. The first thing that we got to process in relationships is a something. The second thing is a trespass. Everybody say trespass. Now this is, this is where a lot of people in the kingdom are. Because he's talking about two brothers here. Two sisters. A brother and a sister. Look at this. I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. Matthew 18, verse 15 in the New Living Translation. If another what? Come on, look at the screen. Talk to me. If another believer sins against you. Now, the first, the first threat to relationship is not sinful necessarily. It's just a little something. The second stage of relationship friction is a little heavier to deal with because this is actually when somebody sins against you. King James says a debt or a trespass. When a believer, it could be one in here, one out there, one you're married to, one in your family. If another believer, man or woman, red, yellow, black, white, rich, poor, it really don't matter. If another believer sins, 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 to miss the mark. It, 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 is a, it is a violation of the Word of God, and it is something that happens to you that is sinful and can hurt. If another believer sins against you and trespasses against you, there is a prescription for dealing with it. If we would follow what I'm getting ready to teach, the kingdom of God would be in harmony. But the reason we ain't in harmony most of the time is because we don't go privately to anybody. We go public with our mess. Do you know why? Oh, no, no, no. Do you know why we go public and tell Sister Yay Yay and Deacon Flip Flop and everybody else in the church and we get on Facebook? We want to solicit support. I know I'm telling the truth. I'm getting, I'm like Noxima. Today I'm coming up under the foundation on your face. I'm coming up so close to you today. I, I'm, this is uncomfortable. Do you know why some people want to solicit help? Because they, they're looking for somebody to undergird their point of view. The Bible says, go privately and simply, this is when, this is not when, this is not when, Chris, I pass you, and, and, and you don't speak to me. That's not a sin. 
If that hurts my feelings, I need to be a little bit more mature. Really. Now, if he did that to me all the time, and if I walked up to him and he turned around like this and walked off, that's a trespass. You got a problem. <laughs> but, 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 if, but if I'm just like, I don't know, they just feel like there's something there. Are we good? That's a something. But when you, when I come up to you and you start talking to me and disrespecting me and you turn around and walk away from me and then you've been talking to people about me and you've been lying on me, God, the more I talk, I'm about to take my shoe off and beat you with my shoe right now. You, you sin. You sin against me. You took my money, you lied to me, you defrauded me, you did something to me. You run your mouth about me. Well, Brother Wallace, I have a gift of discernment. Sometimes God wants me to tell people's faults. You better, you better read your Bible and go to Sunday school. Because I don't care how many gifts you have, none of them were for the express intent of exposing somebody else's mess. When you got your own mess, oh, y'all not going to help nobody. Running around, pointing people's sin out, and you're the one that got your skeletons in your closet. Sit your behind down and get discipled and get up under. If another believer sins against you, go privately. And say to them, say to them, point out the offense. The offense there is different. I'm fixing to show you this. This is a different word in the Greek than the one I'm getting ready to read. This is that sin. Somebody sinned against you. Okay? So somebody sinned against you, and you go to them because you want to make it right, and here's what you say. Do you remember yesterday when, when you... You like said bad things about me? That hurt. And I just want to tell you, I need to forgive you and I need you to know my heart. I love you and I want to walk together in unity. Is there something I've done to you? How many know that's different than walking up and going, you know what you did? You know. How many know Communication is 30% what you say and 70% how you say it. <laughs> you brothers in here, you would get a lot further in your marriage if you would learn how to fold your hands and your legs and say, sweetheart, I can't take the trash out right, trash out right now. I, I can't. I'll do that in a minute. I'm sorry about yesterday. I love you. Would you forgive me? No, no, no. That ain't how brothers roll. Brothers like, I'm the man, bless God. Bless God. Where's my belt buckle at? Get in here, woman. She's like, a fool? What kind of Captain Caveman craziness is this? If you're going to go point it out, do it in a right spirit. You go to them and you say, I just want to work this out. It hurt me. Maybe you didn't mean it. Maybe you did. Whatever happened, if we're going to be blessed and walk in our purpose, we got to get this worked out, and I want, us to, I want us to be healed. If that person is a real true Christian, they're going to say, you know what? I'm sorry. Now, let me park right here and say something. If you don't know how to say I'm sorry, you ain't sanctified. 
No, 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 no. I'm fixing to mess with y'all. When's the last time you looked at somebody and said, I'm sorry? I, I made a mistake. No, no, don't, 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 don't pass out. Don't, don't, don't run out the door. But take an inventory. When's the last time you said, I'm sorry? Well, I ain't done nothing wrong. Go to them privately. Don't put the mess on social media. We're sitting there reading your posts trying to discern who you're talking about. And we, we talk to people about what you're talking about and we don't even know what you're talking about. you like, you get on Facebook, don't put no names. Oh, I see what you did to me and I'm coming for you. And we're like, who? Who are you coming for? What did they do to you? Yo, Janie, Susie's on the internet. She's coming for somebody. Who's she coming? We don't even know. Before you know it, you've got the whole, you got the whole click up in an uproar. And you were talking about the mailman. Go to him, look at your neighbor, say privately. This is the test of Christian maturity. Can you walk up to someone privately? There are two instances, in my opinion, where that first step isn't appropriate. Number one, if you're a, if you're a wife and you're being abused, you need someone to go with you. Amen. Because if he hurts you and has abused you, he doesn't need to have the opportunity to do it again. Amen. The second time I think it is appropriate is if you have a malicious boss. Or a malicious person in your life that, that has been known to lie and take advantage of you and they, they have a controlling, manipulating, um, uh, dictatorial spirit, okay, and you're afraid they're going to twist your words and fire you, then you need to take someone with you in that situation. Otherwise, as much as possible and in every other situation I can think of, you need to go by yourself. Why? Jesus wants to start by concealing this as much as possible. Where's that scripture at? Where my, where my iPad? Let me read this scripture. Oh, if I can find it. It's in my notes. Can y'all give me 10 seconds? Okay. This is, uh, okay, let me see here. Um, uh, yes. It's in Proverbs. Come to me, Lord. Pro He's so good. Proverbs 18, 19. A brother or sister offended is harder Harder to win than a city. Um, what I want you to see is the, 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 the privatization of the reconciliation is important to God. He doesn't want your mess to become broadcast publicly. Go privately. If that doesn't work, there's another step, and I'm closing in just a minute. There's another step. If that doesn't work, go get two or three leaders. Why do you go get two or three leaders? Because sometimes the person who sinned against you does not want to be held accountable because they don't respect the authority of Christ in your life. So you take someone who has authority in Christ with you and you explain the matter to them. And these two witnesses or three that you bring with you, they may actually tell you, you know what, you're in the wrong. Let witnesses hear the matter. But even then, can you please see this? It goes from one to two or three. We are not trying to make someone 
and all their mess known. We're trying to conceal a matter. If that doesn't work, then you go to the church. Now, in a church this size, we would never do that. We would get the elders of the church or some leadership team of this church, and we, we should present the matter in that way. Somebody said, we've never done that. You know why we've not done that much? We have done it. We've not done it much. You know why? Because you didn't start the process right in the first place. It's never supposed to get to the church. It's supposed to start with somebody in private. And if you're not working on it in private, don't blame me that I didn't fix it publicly. You went to step three because you don't want no accountability in your life. You just want to talk about everybody. Stop bringing it to the church or the leaders before you did what Jesus told you to do. Hello! I can't fix what you won't let God fix. Now we go back to my sermon. I'm done with this. Trespass. So you go to somebody. Watch how quickly. I'm, watch how quickly Jesus turns this thing. He's, he's talking to them and he says, when they hurt you, go to them privately. If that doesn't work, get two or three. If that doesn't work, get a bigger body of leaders and take it to the church. And if they won't hear, if the person who sinned against you won't hear, the body of Christ, treat them like a, treat them like a Gentile and a publican. In other words, treat them like they're not born again because if they won't submit their life to Christian leadership and if they won't surrender to the lordship of Jesus and the express demonstrated leaders that Christ has placed over them in the Lord, if they won't hear them and respond appropriately to that, then their heart is hard and they need to be, they need to be evangelized again. They're not even right with God. But immediately after Jesus says... Go to them and, and see if you can work this out. He turns immediately to the responsibility of the one who was sinned against. He says more to the person who was sinned against than he does to the person who did the sinning. Amen. Come here, you two. Come here, you two. Okay, okay, so they're really good friends. They're both in RSM. Uh-huh. But let's just pretend they're not friends, but they're both brothers in Christ. Let's pretend that Andrew steals something from Mark. Okay? Mark comes to him and says, you, you, you stole my shoes. Let me tell the story, okay? You stole, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Andrew, those are my shoes. You stole my shoes. Andrew says, he could say one of two things. Yeah, so what? Okay, I'll be back in a minute. So then Mark goes and gets Elder Pat and Elder Warney. Come with me, Elder. This cat stole my shoes, and I'm about to wear them out. But will you help me? Will you intervene? And he says, and he brings them over here, and he says, these are my shoes. How do we know these are your shoes? Because my name is on the bottom of them, and my mama gave them to me for Christmas 13 years ago, and I wrote my name on the bottom of them, and those are my shoes. And he shows us the bottom of them, and sure enough, Mark's name is on them, and, and they say, give him his shoes back. And Mark says, no, 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 no. I ain't giving nobody, I ain't giving nobody anything back. And so Mark says, okay, we'll be right back. So then he goes and gets some more leaders, and he goes and gets some more people. Come on, come on, come on. And we're going to have a church meeting, and, and he, those are my shoes. That cat took my shoes. And he says... I ain't giving nothing back. Okay, keep the shoes, but your tail is being turned out the church. You can't come back until you get your heart right. 
See, people don't like that. Do you see the breath left this place when I said that? But do you understand? This is why we got foolishness sitting in the house of God because we don't have any discipline in the house of the Lord anymore. We let people go around sleeping with each other's wife and sleeping with other people's husband and nobody rebukes it and nobody takes, come on somebody. This is the kingdom of God. We are better than that. Watch, 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 watch. But let's say he brings the church and, and, and Andrew says, Andrew says, you know what? That was so dumb, Mark. Would you please forgive me? I took your shoes. Take your shoes off. Take your shoes off. <laughs> Come on, give him the other shoe. How are you going to do something with one shoe? Come on. He, get, he gives him a shoe back. And now watch this. Put the shoes down. Put the shoe. It wasn't about the shoes. It was about brotherhood. It was about brotherhood. It was about brotherhood. Watch. Watch. I'm almost done. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. He immediately turns to the man who was sinned against and he says, this messed with Peter so long that the Bible says a number of days later, Peter came back to Jesus and said, that God has stole from me. You was talking to me about forgiving people. Is it okay if I give it, forgive him seven times? Is that okay? Seven times. Lord, ain't you proud of me? Seven times. So I've been thinking about this for a couple days, Lord, and I feel real spiritual. I'm going to forgive him seven times. Jesus looked at Peter and said, oh no. Now seven. Seventy times seven. Lord, that's 490 times. Yeah, the point is, to the person who's been sinned against, don't keep count. Well, Brother Wallace, they're not going to run over me. Oh, they did Jesus. You got Bible for this? Of course I do. I wouldn't tell you otherwise. Jesus said there was a dude. This dude owed a master 10,000 talents, which is like millions and millions of dollars. He never could have paid it back in his life. He went to the master. The master said, throw him in jail. He'll never be able to pay this debt. The man falls down on his knees. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And the master says, you know what? I'm a merciful master. I'm going to wipe your account clean. You don't owe me nothing. How many know that's how good God is? But the same man who got all that forgiven had another servant himself. And that other servant owed him a couple of pennies. And he goes to him and says, hey, man, give me my pennies. And the dude said, you know what, man? I lost my job. My life is falling apart. Can you just have a little mercy on me? Will you forgive me? And the man who owed millions, but Jesus forgave him of everything, looked at the man who owed him a few pennies and said, I ain't, I ain't forgiving you of nothing. Take his behind to jail. Go to jail, go to jail. <laughs> and everything was all right until the servants saw the behavior of the man who had been forgiven of much. And they went back to the master and they said, Master, do you remember that man you forgave of a lot? He just threw his servant in prison for a few pennies. The master was wroth. He came back to the man, threw him in jail, and said, You're going to stay there until you pay your debt. If you can't forgive the debt, Somebody on you. So before you sentence someone to jail for what they did to you, remember you could have been in jail, but Jesus dropped the charges. I feel like praising God in here. I said Jesus dropped the charges. I don't know if I can forgive them. Look to Calvary. 
He stretched high. Thank you. He stretched high. They hung him wide. His side is bleeding. His head is crowned with thorns. His, black is, his back is emaciated. And while they're killing him, spitting on him, and mocking him, he doesn't say, Father, put him in prison, for you know what they've done. He said, Father, the trespasses they're committing against me, forgive them. Forgive them all. Forgive the Roman soldier that mocked me. Forgive the Roman soldier that stabbed me. Forgive Judas. Forgive the Pharisees. Forgive them all. That is your model. That is your model. Not some Hollywood elite walking around with their tender feelings on their shoulders. If Jesus can look at those who mocked him, crucified him, and killed him and say, Father, forgive them, there is no excuse for I to sit, you and I to sit in church. The last one is the most grievous of all. It is found in Mark, Matthew chapter 4. Now watch this. The first one is a something. The second one is someone sinning against you. But the last one is when you do something to someone to set a trap for them to actually sin. Read the text. You actually set a trap that entices someone away from the path of righteousness. I'm offended. No, you're not offended if all someone did is didn't shake your hand. Unless when they didn't shake your hand, you allowed it to become a root of bitterness. And you allowed anger to take over. And this is where many people are right now. Do you know what this is right here? Everybody, everybody know, know what this is right here? This is an offense right here. Not the trap. The offense is the scandalon. Everyone say scandalon. Scandalon is the bait and the trigger. And what happens is that Satan will use people to set a trap for you. And the intention is to get you away from God and his people. And so they come with a, an action against you. They lie on you. They take a seat that rightfully belonged to you. They made up lies and got you fired. Somebody needs to hear that. They cheated on you in your marriage. They, they were used by the enemy to bait you in. And the intention of the enemy was to isolate you and separate you from God. And they did it. They did it to you. You could have experienced it and walked away. And while you're walking, you might be crying and broken, but you're still close to God. And you're not bitter, you're just hurt. Maybe there's something, there's anger, maybe there's a place that's inside. You're worshiping through it, you're trying, but you're fighting it, but at least you didn't take the bait. But there are some people in this room today 
when that something bad happened in your life, it pulled you in. And I'm going to tell you what the Holy Spirit told me early this morning and last night at prayer. He said, Kevin, there are some people offended at God. God didn't show up when you wanted him to. God didn't show up like you thought he would. God didn't show up like you expected him to. You say, is this in the Bible? Of course it is. Matthew 11, John the Baptist is in prison. He sends his disciples to Jesus. He says, go to Jesus and ask him. Are you the one or do we need to look for another? Jesus tells the disciples of John, you go back and you tell John, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, and blessed is he who is not offended at me. In other words, John, you're in prison. Your mind is starting to think, I thought this was Jesus. I thought he was going to take care of me, but he didn't show up like I thought he was going to. He didn't rescue me. He didn't break me out of this prison. I'm still here. Are you really the one? Jesus said, tell John not to get offended. Don't take the bait. You prayed for someone to get healed in your family and they died of the sickness. Satan put a piece of bait on a trap, on a trigger. He said, you know what? God don't love you anymore. If he loved you, he'd have healed them. If, if God really had power, he would have touched them. Look what he did. He let your family die. And some of you are sitting in this room today and you took the bait. You're offended at God. Some of you are offended at your spouse. Some of you are offended at leaders in the church. We have to be careful, number one, on one side, that we don't become the people who set traps of offense for others. But we must make sure that no matter who sets the trap, we don't take the bait of offense. Because when you bite the bait of offense, what you literally do is you live your life isolated from God, isolated from his people. I found out you can even come to church living in a trap called offense. No worship, no pure praise, always on edge, always offended. Deep down on the inside, something has happened somewhere in your life and you took the bait and you didn't just get hurt, you got bitter. You got mad and the root of bitterness grew in your life. And you said, you know what? I'm going to live in this place of isolation and here's what it is. I want to tell you right now, family, I'm standing in this trap and I can't see none of y'all. In fact, I can't even see my hand in front of my face. This is a dark place. You know what this place is? This is the prison of those who take the offense. This is the prison of those who take the bait. Something bad happens and instead of running to God and pouring your heart out and staying tender in your spirit, you just get mad and you get hurt and you get bitter and you just get trapped in this dark place oh God and you're separated you can't see God and you can't see your brothers and sisters and you're just going through this life you're living on the outside but you're dark on the inside and you really just want to start saying help 
get me out of this. I don't want to live the rest of my life trapped in this place. I don't want to be offended. I don't want to be bitter. I know my husband ran out on me, but I don't want to live bitter the rest of my life. I know my wife cheated on me, but I don't want to be bitter the rest of my life. Church people hurt me, and I've not gone to church in years because I'm bitter. I don't want to be bitter the rest of my life. I want to come out of this offense. I came today to tell you, the devil is the one who set the trap and he put the bait on the trap and he enticed you into this moment and he might have used somebody to do it but there is one who came to get you out of the trap that you're in the Bible says that he delivered me from the snare and the trap of the fowler and somebody needs to know today that I don't care how long you've been in this trap. I don't care how dark it is and how long it's been dark. Today, you can come out of every trap and offense. If God is for you, it don't matter who is against you. Let it go. Somebody holler, let it go. Let the pain go. Let the bitterness go. I feel the Holy Ghost. Let the accusing spirit go. Throw your hands up and start praising God all over this church right now. When I kicked that wall out, I felt a yoke break. I felt a burden break. Some of you are hurt. Some of you are bitter, but today the devil is backing up. Jesus has come to set you free. Jesus has got to had to go, would you reach over, lay your hand on your neighbor's shoulder, Lord, seal the word in all of our hearts, work, keep on working, until you finish what you started, and I thank your precious Holy Spirit for healing hearts and causing a wave of forgiveness to come on this body. And even those who hear this message through technology, let them have a spirit of forgiveness and mercy. Come on them. Ah, ah, glory in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Sing it one more time, Devin, as they go. I love you. We'll see you Wednesday night. Go in the peace of God. Go fellowshipping, sharing the love of God. Hallelujah. Say